Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, new rules are coming to Hamilton, which will ban discretionary counselor infrastructure spending on controversial things like movie nights and sponsorships. The Huawei situation continues, and the Ontario government is changing the rules on bricks-and-mortar pot shops. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A lot of business going on at Hamilton City Hall this past week. And, uh, and we've talked about uh, a number of different initiatives. Obviously, it's the cannabis situation and some other things that are going on. Well, there's a report that's coming to council in the next couple of days. Uh, and this is about the, the money that goes to, uh, well, it's wards one through eight. And, and this is all to do with uh, what they thought was a, a fairness situation uh, to do with, with uh, area rating, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, these wards actually get money every year. And it's called infrastructure spending money, which is the biggest scam, I think, the city's seen in a long, long time, because the, the councillors in these wards basically spend it on whatever they want. Uh, and it's been characterized, and I think quite rightly, as just a slush fund that they can use to try to garner support uh, in, in, in their wards. And it's it's problematic, but it looks like it's going to continue. So uh, for optics' sake, it looks as if the, the report here is going to put some parameters on this. I, I would ask them to go one step further and just eliminate the fund altogether. I want to bring John Best into the conversation. He, of course, is the publisher of the Bay Observer, and uh, always a welcome guest. John, welcome to the show. Good to have you with us again. Well, thanks, Bill. Good to be with you. I tell you, when I was on city council, if they said, here's a, a few hundred thousand dollars every year, just go spend it as you wish, and, uh, you know, good luck, I, 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 I'd, I'd grab that in a heartbeat. So I'm, I'm not blaming the councilors that have got it, but, I mean, this is ridiculous. It really is, and and uh, my my first thought when I when I read the report was, uh, sure, they're, what, what, they, what they're really doing here is uh, there's kind of a two-tier uh, funding system. Most of these eight wards get uh, somewhere in the area, it's a little in excess of a million dollars a year, which is supposed to be used to play catch-up on roads, sidewalks, sewers, uh, aging infrastructure uh, problems. And then out of that is $100,000, which can basically, as you mentioned, be spent on anything from sponsoring sports teams to uh, uh, buying uh, equipment, uh, you know, all, all kinds of crazy stuff. And in, in some cases, it was used to prop up uh, consultants even, uh, consulting fees, and uh, uh, all of it uh, attention-getting. Well, don't forget getting. the drone, John. Oh, the drone, of course. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Well, at least it's infrastructure, (laughs) you know. But uh, yeah, it was just crazy. So, so you, uh, my my complaint about all this is that fine, we've we've now got controls over the hundred thousand, but I've yet to think of an occasion where when a when a counselor put forward how they wanted to spend the million, uh, it's basically rubber stamped by council. Of course, it is. So you got a hundred thousand that's now under some level of scrutiny, and you got a million or nine hundred thousand or whatever the remainder is that that is essentially yes, it has to be approved by council, but uh, certainly in our it may be different now with some new faces on council, but certainly in the past, I never saw anybody getting called up on the carpet. Uh, why are you spending this money? Uh, however, uh, let's not ki- uh, quibble about what is definitely a positive step. But I'm with you. Uh, I think this two-tier counselor business is, uh, you know, I think most people, when, when the idea of uh, the special infrastructure fund was, was raised uh, in lieu of a small tax decrease, I think most of us thought that it was going to be a temporary bridging measure 
to get us, uh, you know, we, we really have this ongoing problem with uh, the lack of acceptance of uh, amalgamation. And so this was meant as a way of, you know, sort of sealing a, a compromise. But it's it's now gone on, you know, and it's perpetuated now. And uh, I, I never thought that that was the original plan. I thought it was a transitional kind of a plan. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, as we've always talked about this as, as wards one through eight, there's an extra ward here now. Does yes. ward 14 get a million bucks now too? Well, uh, certainly under the under the formula, it's not a question of, of the name of the ward. It's it's really the issue of is it old city or well, or it's old city. Suburb. It's it's West Mountain. Yeah, it is. So uh, yes, I I think uh, there would have to be an allocation. You can't have one ward in the old city uh, that doesn't get this fund. Uh, and hopefully that'll open the door to a discussion around: Do we really need this thing at all? Because uh, really, it's it's uh, you know if it, it even if the money is being used for roads and sewers, why do we have a different level of uh, approval? Uh, I mean, we have a city staff who allocate uh, where they're going to pave roads, where they're going to re- renew sewers. Uh, uh, why do we have uh, a million dollars of that uh, large sum of money uh, under a kind of a discretionary? Uh, program where, where the counselor uh, gets to, uh, uh, you know, sort of designate where it gets spent, it, it would seem to me that the counselors have input on the overall capital budget anyway. Uh, I'm sure they're all in there fighting for projects. So it, it just, it's to me, it's indefensible. The, the whole notion of having two tiers, uh, two levels of counselor uh, is really, uh, there, there's something wrong with that in my mind. Well, yeah, there's the fairness issue, clearly, but I mean, the other element of this is, is uh, why do they not simply, if there's money that's supposed to be spent in the old city, why don't you simply give it over to staff and say, these are for the projects that, that are on the capital budget. I mean, there's a capital budget plan every year. And, well, but but this is this is now counselors saying yeah but this is my money I'm going to spend it on this and and it's 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 evolved now into like you say, I call it a slush fund and I know the counselors don't like that but you know if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's a duck they and it, this started I think when Brian McCaddy decided he was going to build a couple of statues or something like this with the money and you know what did they call it social infrastructure. Uh, which is really, really stretching it. And, and a number of councillors have kind of taken that theme and said, yeah, we're going to build something else. Or, hey, would you like your park fixed? Hey, would you like this done? That's that's not what this is all about. I mean, it's it's actually giving these people, especially as incumbents, a, a huge advantage or anybody that ever wants to run against them because they can list all this money now and they've got all this. It's basically spending money. Yeah, uh, there's certainly a high level of visibility around these projects, and and let's uh, there there are a number of counselors. And I think we need to say this, Bill. There are a number of counselors who are using the fund exactly as it was intended. It goes into sidewalks, it goes into roads, and and you know, uh, there's a, a number of counselors that are that I think are quite conscientious about where this money goes. Uh, but when you start getting into propping up community groups and uh, you know the luckily they they in this new um, uh, set of guidelines they're uh, they are now defining social infrastructure in a better way uh, one of which is uh, no operating costs can be covered uh, for anything that is not already city property so that that's going to stop um, you know your pet consultant from from getting a nice contract uh, Every year for doing some social studies of some sort, um, so so that's good. But um, you know, really, it it just doesn't make sense. We we have a pretty good 
budget process here, although I argue that, you know, the kind of detail, the same council that um, is looking at this measure, they're, they're, you know, you've got all these new councilors, and they, they just approved a capital budget that's, you know, $200 million roughly, and we're going we're gonna to be roughly $500 million in debt. Uh, nothing wrong with that. That's part of uh, the normal way a city is run. But um, the detail level that I see in the council packages is, is not satisfactory. It's, uh, it's all top-line stuff. Well, look, at, let's hang these guys on their own petard because they're the ones that complain to the province, and, and I think rightly so, about the infrastructure deficit in the city. You know, we're falling behind when it comes to road construction and fixing sidewalks and sewers, and, and, and I think that's pretty obvious to everybody. That's where this money should be spent. Not on frivolous projects, not on schoolyards, not on school trips, not on any of this other stuff. But councillors are playing fast and loose with this. And I, I, I just, it's a waste of money. I mean, how can they possibly do this? And then on the other hand, go back to the province and say, hey, come on, you got to help us here. The money's right there. Spend it. In other words, all that money should be allocated to staff. And okay, you spend it on road, sewers, and sidewalks in those wards. Period. End of sentence. And the, the councillor should have no discretion and no say in that. Agreed. Uh, although, you know, I, I think we have to give credit. I'm not sure where the credit exactly lies, but whoever put this item on an agenda uh, certainly deserves some credit. Uh, the staffer who I, I don't sense that it's originated from any individual counselor. I, I don't recall any notice of motion around this staff study, but somebody's obviously done some work on this uh, at the staff level and, quite frankly, uh, takes some guts to put this on the sheet, and my guess is that it'll pass. Of course it will. Uh, it should anyway, but, but that's, in, you know, because anybody's going to look, well, you know, how are they going to be viewed by, by the staff and by the public, for that matter, if they vote against something like this? I mean, this is, a, you know, an apple pie motherhood thing, but are they going to follow it? Are they going to actually do that? Or are they simply going to say, okay, fine, we did that, now where's my money, and I'll tell you where I'm going to spend it? Yeah, I, I I don't think we're going to, you know, as as much as I applaud uh, what what's being done here with this $100,000, I I think the real what it does in some ways is it masks the bigger picture, which is the the million plus dollars that uh are still going to be uh allocated uh, essentially as uh, the sitting councilor wishes it to be allocated because there is no they they can say yes, we it has to be approved by council, but the fact is, uh, on this and any other ward-specific issue, you almost never get pushback uh, against a councillor who is trying to do something in their own ward. Well, no, so, that, and the reason for that is simply, uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. In other words, you okay my project, and I'll give you a thumbs up on whatever it is you want to spend your money on. Yeah, so, but you know what, We're it, it's a step in the right direction. And hopefully it will lead to a re-examination of the whole infrastructure um, fund, uh, because it, it's 20 years since amalgamation. Some of the same people that are spending these discretionary dollars are the same people that want to drop area rating for transit. Uh, you know, and if we're going to get, you know, if we're going to level the playing field, uh, one of the things I think we need to do is uh, get rid of this two-tier council business. It, look, there are processes in place here. And and some of this money that's being spent, and, and some of the stuff was listed, I know, in the, the article that was in the spec today, uh, you know, as you mentioned, school trips and, and, and sports. There are, there's a grants process that's in place, and you, you must apply, and there's qualifications, et cetera, and there's only a certain amount of money for this. I get that. 
uh, and there are other processes as well. What this opportunity here is, is giving these groups an end run around this. In other words, I'm not going through the grants process. I'm just going to bug my counselor and get the money from them. Exactly. And, and it's just, uh, it's one of these things that, that sort of undermines our processes. Um, we, we've, we've got, uh, on paper at least, we, we've got some good procedures for getting special grants, uh, aid, you know, aid to the arts and, and so on. But uh, exactly as you describe it, uh, we're going to get, people are going to say, why should I go through the front door when I can go through the back door and not have to go through a, a lengthy uh, amount of paperwork and uh, all, all that's entailed in applying for a grant. Yeah, but if I'm a taxpayer in Stony Creek or Ancaster or Dundas or Benbrook, whatever it is, I've got to follow that process. That's all I've got. But if I'm in one of those other wards, I figured, oh, I'm not even going to bother. Why should I do the paperwork? I'll just keep bugging my counselor. But here we are. It's, it's December, Bill, and we're talking about something that probably should have been an issue in the last campaign because it really it, there, there's just a total fairness issue here that uh, it just jumps up and smacks you in the face, really. Well, it it, it, it is. It's more than fairness. I think it's uh, it's one of these situations where you want your elected representatives at every level to be cost-conscious and spend the money wisely. And there's a big pot of money here. I mean, you're talking over $8 million every year, every year, John. That's a, that's, a, that's a lot of money. That could get a lot of stuff done, fix a lot of sidewalks or any other of these projects that need to be done that usually get bumped off the capital budget plan by the councillors when they start uh, going back and forth as, as to where their pet projects are. This, you know, if you just let staff do what staff are supposed to do and do their, their priorities and say, this is what we're going to do this year and then allocate this money to it, we'd all be in better shape. I think we would. Um, instead, instead of buying properties, how many times have you heard that over the last number of years? There's a contentious piece of property. There's an old school. I can buy that. Well, good for you. How come the other people don't have that advantage? Well, it's uh, OPM, other people's money. Uh, yeah. It's really the principle. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it just, uh, it's, not, um, it's not good governance. Bottom line, it is simply not good governance. Uh, if this plan uh, was implemented for the right reasons, uh, it should have been temporary and, and it should have had a, a sunset date uh, attached to it. It now has gone on and on and on. And uh, really, uh, it, you know, if we're going to be um, a unified community, uh, we've got to get rid of these distinctions between uh, urban and rural. We, we've really got to, um, you know, make it the same for everybody. As, as Dave just says on email here, as you and I are talking, he says, why not put the money into, into paramedics, into EMS services? We talk about code zeros, et cetera. That's something that could benefit everybody. There's $8 million a year uh, that could go into services like that. In other words, there's a lot of things that they could be spending this money on that would ease a lot of the, the, the frustrations that we're feeling right now instead of simply saying, well, let me decide. Uh, how is this going to suit me and what's, where am I going to get the biggest bang for my political buck on this? Well, we have some new faces on council, and maybe we'll see some leadership uh emerge from that. Um, I, I hope that this will open up a, a broader discussion about the, the whole infrastructure equalization program or whatever you want to call it. Um, it seems to me that, uh, you know, we're, we're 20 years after, uh, 18 years after amalgamation. It's really time to move on, I think. I think so, too. John Best from the Bay Observer. John, thanks for this today. My pleasure, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, another situation that we need to be paying attention to here, of course, is the uh, the Huawei situation that's happening out on the West Coast right now. The uh, CFO, of course, of Huawei, 
uh, was arrested by Canadian authorities earlier this week. And uh, at the behest of American authorities who said, look, at you know, we want to arrest her because uh, they're accusing Huawei of, uh, well, basically contravening uh, a, a protocol that was set up with Iran uh, vis-a-vis sanctions. Uh, anyway, that's yet to be proven in court. The reality here is this, is that she's in a Canadian jail, obviously being looked at by Canadian authorities. China is incensed by this. Even though it was the United States that, that, that asked the Canadian people to do this, uh, all the anger is, is directed towards Canada, nothing toward the United States at all. And, and now they're saying uh, two Canadians, of course, have already been arrested and are being detained in China now. Uh, and Trump is coming in here like the hero saying, hey, I, I might just intervene in this and see if I can fix this. Uh, it's his government that organized this. And the, anyway, it's a complicated mess, and, and Canada seems to be stuck in the middle once again. So how do we get out of this, and what are the implications? I want to bring Marvin Ryder into the conversation, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. How are you doing this morning, Marvin? Glad to be here, Bill. This is getting murkier and murkier with each and every day. Well, well, actually, I'm I'm of the opposite opinion. I think it's actually getting clearer because of the judge's ruling earlier this week. Uh, so, as you said, let's just take people back for uh, roll the tape back about a week. Um, Ms. Mung was on her way from Hong Kong to Mexico via uh, Vancouver. As she was changing planes in Vancouver, Canadian authorities exercised an arrest warrant on behalf of the Americans. That's due to an extradition treaty. It has nothing to do with trade. We just have these uh, reciprocal agreements that if a Canadian is on the loose in the United States, American authorities will arrest them for us, and vice versa, we'll arrest them for the Americans. We arrested her. Uh, The uh, Americans then wanted her extradited to the United States to stand trial because of her role, as you say, in violating sanctions against Iran. Now, uh, while they were awaiting this uh, extradition hearing, and that won't happen until February or March, the question was, would she stay in jail until the hearing, or could she be released on bail? So we actually had one of the longest bail hearings I know in Canadian history. It went two and a half days of arguments from both sides. And while this was going on, this is when China got mad. Why, is, why are you even not letting this person have bail? Uh, she, she's a, a sterling person worth millions and millions of dollars. She's one of our, our bright lights. It would be almost as if you arrested Anne Murray from Canada. What are you doing? She's, she's, a, she's a gem. So um, uh, they weren't happy. As you said, they've arrested two. But the judge did rule that she could be out on bail. Some of the, again, the most strenuous bail conditions I've ever heard in Canadian history, not only is there money being pledged, but she has to pay for monitoring, security, uh, pledge property. Other people have pledged property on her behalf. Uh, so that she'll stay around for this extradition hearing in February or early March. Uh, I think now that that's been resolved and she is out and living in her home in Vancouver, uh, I think China is less upset. But uh, what maybe China doesn't quite understand, that when you join these clubs around the world, whether it's the World Trade Organization or, in this case, the uh, reciprocal agreements on extradition, you don't really get a choice in the matter. You can't just arrest who you like and who you don't like. And and by the way, one final quick note, Bill, Uh, this woman who was arrested was arrested for violating an American law. She wasn't arrested for violating any Canadian law. She actually hasn't done anything wrong in Canada. So we're doing this strictly at the behest of the Americans. As you pointed out at the opening, the funny thing about all this was there was first no thanks uh, from somebody like Donald Trump or vice president or a senator. There was no defense from those same people. And we're all doing this just for you. Where are you? Where do you have our backs on this? 
More to the point, there are some people down there that are actually saying, shame on you, Canada, for upsetting our Chinese friends. I mean, come on, people. It was their idea in the first place. It was. And, and it is. So the, the general battle, if we just take Canada out of it for half a second, the general battle is between the United States and China over trade. Uh, China is the number two economic power in the world, the United States number one. But in terms of annual growth, China is growing much more quickly than the United States. And as a result, night people like me tell you that China is going to overtake the United States as the world's dominant trading power within a decade. Donald Trump doesn't like that. He wants to stop it. He thinks it's actually America that's helping China take on this number one spot. So as you know, they've been involved in this tariff battle. I'll say a little bit of tariff, like $10 billion to start with. Oh, that didn't work. How about $50 billion? Oh, that didn't work. How about $200 billion? That's still not working. And so we're in this all-out trade war. And along the way, not only does he allege that Chinese products are too cheap, but that Chinese companies play fast and loose with the trade secrets, patents, trademarks, etc. And in particular, Huawei, which is now the second largest cell phone company in the world behind Samsung. Apple has fallen to number three. He's not happy about them. So you've got this perfect storm of why the Americans are focusing their efforts on, on this company, and in particular this chief financial officer. But we're just stuck in the middle here. Uh, China, up until this week, seemed to like us a lot. They had opened the idea to a free trade deal with Canada. We, we slow-pedaled that a little bit because, again, we can't really have free trade if you don't play by the other rules like patents and trademarks, etc. But, you know, let's, let's talk. Let's keep talking. You know, nice to hear you. But at this moment, we're, we're a little bit darker in our relations with China. It's interesting, though, this, the subplots that are involved in here. And let's start with the, the Huawei one right off the bat. Uh, there's a difference of opinion between Canada and the United States about how to handle Huawei. Uh, down in Washington, uh, they don't trust them. They say they're affiliated too closely with the Chinese government. They're spying on us. Everybody that buys a Huawei phone is, is a de facto agent for the Chinese government. I mean, it's, it's getting pretty messy down there. Uh, we've done our quote-unquote research on the, this side of the border and say, no, we, we think they're okay. So there's there's a difference there. So that's that's one of the subtexts. But the other one, as you said, this is not about trade, but it kind of is about trade uh, because it's going to have an impact on this. I mean, Trump has stepped up here and said, I might just intervene here as long as I can get a good trade deal from China. Yeah. Well, God bless him for that. Uh, <laughs> for Donald Trump, it all kind of comes back down to the pocketbook at the end, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Um, to start with the first one, yeah, we've investigated Huawei, and, and what have we found in Canada? We have found a large multinational company that is aggressively pursuing market share. That also describes Apple, and that also describes Samsung. In the, in the courts around the world, they're all suing each other for violating trade. So they're all alleging and I mean this sincerely, Samsung is alleging that Apple stole from them, Apple's alleging that Huawei stole from them, Huawei's alleging that Samsung... I mean, it's a very complicated world with these high-technology products, and, and everyone is alleging somebody stole something from them, uh, and these go to the courts. And by the way, Bill, by the time they sort this all out, that technology's old, we've already <laughs> moved on to something else. But that's, that's the kind of world that we live in today with these fast-developing technologies. I'm not saying Huawei is blameless, but at the same time, I wouldn't give the white hat to Apple or Samsung or any other one of these companies either. They yeah, all It's really a pox on all their houses, well, isn't it? You know, that's it? But it's also the nature of fast-developing, fast-moving technologies. Something breaks, you can't stay behind, you've got to stay on top of it. So I get, I get where, where Trump is coming from, that he is upset about the United States losing dominance in the world's economy. I get that. 
but I don't think you can take it all out on Huawei. And then and this woman, I think why she has become the focus of attention, she's the daughter of the founder. She herself is worth millions, if not billions of dollars, one of the new uh, wealthy Chinese entrepreneurs, which seems such a contrast in a country that's officially communist. Uh, so, you know, she stands out as a bit of a poster child, has property around the world, um, you know, just she, she's just somebody that I think if America was going after, they're going after a well-known figure on purpose. Now, in terms of Trump riding to the rescue, I, you know, he's been trying to figure out a way to to bring an end, I think, to this trade war between China and the United States, but he has to find it in a way that it doesn't look like he's kowtowing to the Chinese. In essence, he would like the Chinese to come to the table first and say, oh, please, America, please, we give up. Won't you please come talk to us? Uh, that's what he would like to see happen. China is not about to do that. So he's trying to find some levers that can maybe get a, a break in the stalemate. Unfortunately, as he's playing with these levers, he's putting us squarely in the crosshairs of the Chinese. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy about it, but that's Trump. He's a master puppeteer. Well, and, and I don't mean to be too cynical here, but there are some, though, that are starting to wonder whether or not this was all a ploy uh, to gain leverage against China. I, I mean by the United States, and they, they kind of used Canada in a situation like this. Well, correct. The, the, the outstanding warrant against uh, this woman has been outstanding for some time. It's just kind of one of those standing issues. Now, having said that to you, Bill, let me put another little wrinkle into this uh, puppet uh, game that's going on here. For the life of me, I don't understand how this woman worth the kind of money she is, was flying a commercial jet from Hong Kong to Vancouver, Vancouver to, to Mexico, knowing that Canada does have an extradition treaty. Why wouldn't you just hired a private plane to fly you directly to Mexico? Professional golfers do this all the time. Sure. They, they aren't in your category. Why, why do that? I know, yes, posh, fly first class to Vancouver, first class to Mexico. She, would, she knew, she had to know there was a high risk that she was going to be arrested in Vancouver. So how much of this is maybe the Chinese also calling America's bluff on all this? Arrest her if you want to. Well, let's see what happens, big guy. And, and I think, again, we're caught in the crosshairs between two superpowers. Well, or she, I, I mean, I, Mexico's a member of the G7, the G20. I mean, why didn't she just land in Mexico and they could have arrested her there? I mean, why pick Hamp, uh, Vancouver? I don't understand. Ah, well, I see, Bill. Now there, oh, you, you don't watch enough movies to know that, Bill. <laughs> Mexico and the United States do not have an easy extradition treaty. So when, it, when um, uh, we, Canada, has a wonderful reciprocal treaty, but Mexico doesn't, and in all those movies you've watched growing up, how many people were trying to hightail it to Mexico so they could escape the law because the Mexican authorities don't do the arresting the way Canadian authorities do? There we go. Okay. Ask that's again ask why if she had flown to Mexico, none of this, this story wouldn't even have happened. Why she flew through to Vancouver and put herself at this risk is beyond my comprehension. Well, there was a seat sale, Marvin. I mean, come on. Let's yeah. <laughs> you know, you look after the pennies, the dollars look after themselves, exactly. even if you're a bullionaire like she is. Exactly. So, so what's the end game here? I mean, obviously, China's ticked off at us right now. Uh, and, and obviously the, 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 the two detainees right now. But we were not on the verge of a trade deal with China, but we'd opened the door and, and we yeah. were getting pretty friendly about that. It kind of sounds like they're pushing the door closed now. Well, a little. You know, uh, uh, this, this is one of those things that's going to ebb and flow. Uh, now that she's been released on bail, um, uh, assuming she doesn't flee the country, let's assume that for a moment, that she will wait around for the extradition hearing, then we'll get warmer again for the next couple of months. But the minute the extradition treaty 
uh, try it one more time. The extradition hearing begins. That, again, is a case made to a Canadian judge as to why she should be shipped to the Americans to stand trial. I, I know there's going to be tremendous political pressure on that judge. Again, to be candid, Bill, she should go and face the music. You know, uh, we, we have no reason not to send her on to the United States like the United States asks. But the minute we do that, we're going to anger China. So, uh, I, you know, we're going to go through another wave of this probably in late February or early March uh, where the Chinese are going to, to say they're all upset. But really, again, I don't see why they're mad at us. We're playing by the rule of law. That's the rule they have to play with if they want to join these big clubs. What's she looking at? I mean, if, if this follows through and they do what they want to do, she gets extradited and she goes down there and she yep. stands trial. Is, is she looking at jail time or just a fine? What's, what's on, well, on she, store she here? She could. So in the United States, the, what they did was they passed some laws to say that they were uh, uh, trying to sanction Iran. By putting economic sanctions on Iran, they want Iran to denuclearize, uh, shut down their nuclear program, what have you. So companies, you cannot trade with Iran. What she has been charged with is that she knowingly set up a shell company. Huawei did not directly sell to Iran, but using this shell company, they sold to Company A and Company B, then sold to uh, Iran, and that's how they got around the sanctions. So since she violated this American law, they want to put penalties on her. I guarantee you it would be some combination of jail time and financial penalties. Um, uh, not huge jail time, but probably two or three years. Uh, and that would just send a signal, send a signal to other companies, we take these sanctions very seriously. Uh, that's also why I, I don't think this saga is done by a stretch of the imagination. Uh, so assuming for a moment that these uh, charges are valid, that there is reason to believe this is exactly what happened, it would not surprise me that a woman with her wealth and contacts would escape the law at some point. Whether she'd do this before the extradition hearing and leave egg on Canada's face for not being able to bring her back for the hearing, or if she lost the extradition hearing, somehow en route she would break free and escape back to China. But I, I, I would be very surprised that China will allow her to stand trial in the United States. Well, it, listen, if, if China's angry now, if they decided to try to lock her up uh, for even a year or two, whatever that's going to be, I mean, that's that's... That's that's cause right now for some sort of a, of a, a pushback from the Chinese government. Absolutely, but then at that point, you see, that would be pushback onto the Americans because it would be the American court that decided that we're not going to decide the case. All we're going to decide is whether we should be shipping her back. And and this sometimes uh, people don't fight extradition. Uh, I arrest a suspect in in, in Georgia uh, for a Canadian infraction. They waive their right to an extradition hearing. They say, I'll just go back to Toronto or wherever and face the music. If you don't want to face the music, then you demand a hearing. And sometimes during the hearings, you, you bring up other things that say, well, look, they're just trying to persecute me. They're mad at me because I'm gay, or they're mad at me because of my, my race or my gender or whatever it happens to be, to see if a judge will say, oh, well, if that's the case, I'm not shipping you back to face a, a, a kangaroo court. No, no, you don't have to go back and face the music. Uh, no, I don't know if any of that's going to happen here, but we don't even have to have the extradition hearing if she voluntarily went to the United States to face trial. She is not going to do that. She's going to fight this right, left, and center. By the way, we got about thirty seconds left here. If the uh, the judge says no, you're not uh, you're not going to the states. You don't have to. Uh, she just gets on a plane and goes home. Yes, that's correct. She would be able or go wherever she wanted in the world, uh, and, and and that would be again if they don't seem to have what they call a prima facie case. If they don't have a really good reason to arrest her and hold a trial, our judge, Canadian judge, could say no. We're not shipping you to the United States. You're free to go. 
Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. Thanks as always, Marvin. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A new wrinkle from uh, the provincial government yesterday. Uh, the Ontario government is now changing the rules when it comes to licensing of the, the bricks-and-mortar retail cannabis stores in the province, which are uh, set to be open uh, in April. Uh, joining us to talk about this is Travis Donraj, who, of course, is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief uh, for Global News. Uh, Travis, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us today. No problem. Anytime, Bill. Were you surprised by this announcement yesterday? Well, we found out about this yesterday afternoon. We got wind that something was happening on the cannabis file, and then we did a little digging, and we found out, indeed, they were changing the rules. Uh, you know, the government had come out uh, against Kathleen Wynne's plan, uh, which was 40 government-owned pot shops that were going to be open on July 1st this year, the original date of legalization before it was pushed October 17th. They said that they were going to increase that number to 150 by 2020. The PC said that's a horrible idea. You know what? We're going to have an open market system. We're going to open it up, and private industry can can regulate themselves better, and they can handle this better. Now uh, we find out yesterday uh, that it's only going to be 25 stores across the province uh, as of April the 1st. And they're going to select those by lottery? Going to select those by lottery, you know. I like so when I found out about this, I, I got on the phone with uh, Vic Fideli. We did an exclusive interview with him yesterday. He's actually yeah. on the plane going back to his riding up in North Bay. We got him as soon as we, he got off the plane, and I said, "Well, you know, this is a huge change in the rules, Minister. Uh, what, what's going on here?" And he said, "You know, we were at the table with the the federal government, and we brought this issue to them because he says that this falls." directly at the feet of the feds because there's a supply issue and it's a federal supply issue. Uh, and he says that actually the plan in Ontario was a prudent one because had they opened stores on uh, October 17th, brick and mortar locations, they would have a supply issue and they'd have to shut some of those stores down or they'd have to limit hours like you're seeing in other provinces like Quebec. Uh, but it's it's the feds' fault. It, it must be wonderful, yeah. Travis, to live in a world where everything is everybody else's fault. Uh, <laughs> this is the federal government's fault, or it's Kathleen Wynne's fault, or it's on and on it goes. But I guess that's politics, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But but it's it's rather interesting though that that we do this because I had not heard, and I don't know as you did the research on this. Uh, I know they had to limit the hours in some of the other places, but I haven't heard the word shortage when it comes to supply on this. Uh, is is this a realistic uh, problem? Is this actually happening? So there is there is a bit of supply shortage uh, going on across the country, but you know the commitment was from this government that they they would not have a cap on pot shops. I mean, if there is a if there's a supply issue, um, then certainly you know it needs to be worked out. But I, I think this is the government trying to you know pass the buck on to the feds and attack the feds for yet another issue. Uh, you, you know, when I was talking to the minister on the phone yesterday about this very story, I asked him, I said, you know, we're talking literally as Toronto City Council is voting right now on, and they voted last night uh, as to whether or not uh, to allow cannabis retail stores to operate in the city. Other municipalities have voted on this already. They have until uh, uh, January 22nd to opt out of retail cannabis locations. The minister, you know, are they making informed decisions because they don't have all the information at this point if this news you know global's going to break it and then you're going to put out a news release um shouldn't these municipalities know this information beforehand he goes well you, you know uh I, I think that you know we will see more stores open up later on but right now we're taking a phase-based approach 
so he didn't seem to be concerned about the municipalities not being informed. Yeah, but this kind of flies in the face of what these guys done have done rather with other policy announcements. You know, where the they've uh, they've you know got the little lectern, the podium set up there, and they've got the, whatever the appropriate sign is for the people, for this, for that, etc. Uh, this was kind of done on the back of an envelope as they were leaving town for the weekend. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, the, it goes to some other issues with, you know, Bill 66. That was a huge omnibus bill that was dropped on Thursday, then the House rose on Friday last week, which is a huge bill, and there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, you know, the, the minister was available on the phone. He's not available really uh, for, for on-camera interviews today, and, and there are certainly a lot of questions about this. You know, I was talking to... Uh, uh, a, a contact of mine in the cannabis industry and says this is going to cause a lot of market confusion now because a lot of businesses were getting ready to apply for licenses to open up brick-and-mortar locations. Then at the 11th hour, you're saying, actually, no, you're not going to be able to do that. And the licenses that we are handing out are going to be handed out in a lottery system. The 25 stores across the province starting out is, is a very small number. All right. T- t- well, let's look at it this way. I mean... <laughs> Uh, is, does that mean there's going to be one in Toronto and, and one in Ottawa? And one, I mean, it's... it's and, well, and that's the thing that we don't understand either, right? Is, 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 there, is there going to be distribution across the province, or could Toronto have a concentration of, you know, you know, seven stores or something like that? So, I mean, all of these kinks need to be worked out. But, you know, the minister says again that, you know, the federal government wanted to jam cannabis legislation through, and... And that's why, uh, you know, there, there are some of these issues popping up. If you'll remember, um, on October 17th, the OCS, the Ontario Cannabis Store, online opened up, and there were supply issues there. There was issues with the website there. There was issues with packaging. You know, we, we talked to one guy who ordered 17 grams uh, in different strains of, of, of cannabis, and they came in 17 huge boxes. So there were issues with the packaging as well. So certainly... Uh, you know, and the province said that they were ready for legalization, completely ready. I don't know if they were. Well, I don't know if anybody was. And and, and to their point, I, I think there is some validity to the fact that I think we w- rushed into this. I, the, the I's weren't dotted and the T's weren't crossed here. And I think the government, in their haste to try to get this thing in here, didn't wait and, and think out some of these problems, which is why I think the municipalities, including Toronto last night and Hamilton, hasn't even voted on it yet. I think that's going to happen next week. Are, are kind of in the dark because they don't have all the details. Even that, even with this announcement, Travis, they still don't have all the details. Well, and you know what uh, Minister Fideli told me yesterday is this, this all flows down from the feds, right? But if there's confusion uh, and you know there's not a clear plan on the federal level, that goes down to the uh, the province, and then the municipalities are confused as well. So he says that the province is doing their very best and that they had a prudent plan, and and if they you know had open shops uh, on the 17th, then there would have been a bigger problem. And so luckily, Ontario was a province that avoided that, but now they have to take steps because it would not be right to open up, uh, you know, a number of stores, uh, more than 25, without the supply needed to meet demand. Now, since you, uh, you filed this last night, this exclusive report in your discussion with, uh, with the minister, with Mr. Fideli, uh, has there been any reaction at all? Because i got to tell you, one of the concerns that a lot of people have had, even with the legalization, uh, was the the black market, uh, the, you know, the the illegal trade that's going on, not just the pot shops, but obviously, you know, to get it from you know the guy you've always bought it from, that sort of thing. If there's only going to be twenty five shops shops rather in the whole province uh, initially, anyway, uh, if I'm one of those illegal guys, I'm rubbing my hands thinking, hey, I'm I'm in business now. 
Well, you're absolutely right. And I mean, you know, that that is a big concern for some of the folks that I have talked to, at least some of the sources that I talked to said, well, you know, so much for stemming this illegal uh, black market, because, you know, 25 is not going to be enough to meet demand. Uh, And and the government has also said, you know, uh, if you if you were operating an illegal pot dispensary on the 17th of this year, we were going to come in and shut it down. And we have seen some of those shops shut down already. And again, that was that was, you know, uh, meeting some of the demand out there. So, yeah, I think you are going to have a problem with with um, with meeting demand. And it, it's also unclear what the phase based approach, like when the when the other stores will open um, and when the supply issue will be dealt with. I, I asked the minister whether or not he had confidence. Uh, he had talked to Minister Morneau about a week ago or so, and he said that the premier brought this up with the prime minister as well. Uh, he says that, no, they bungled this from the beginning and they don't have confidence that the feds will be able to figure this out. So, you know, you've got another risk with the uh, province of Ontario and the federal liberals. Let me ask you about timing on this. Uh, I've, been, I've been accused of being cynical from time to time, especially when it comes to politicians. Uh, but is is the fact that this was, and it wasn't even announced, you dug this story out. Uh, and, and obviously Minister Fidelli was, was, was kind enough, I guess, to respond to your, your questions on this. Uh, is it, was this an attempt to change the channel? Because there's a few other things going on, as you've been reporting this week at Queen's Park, like an OPP commissioner and things like that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, uh, the, the the Ron Tavener story is going on. There's a you know continued stories about Dean French. Um, I just found out. I got a little bit of breaking news for you. I haven't even tweeted this out yet. Uh, the Ontario Medical Association they were in. Uh, negotiations with the government for a new contract. The government recently walked away from those negotiations. I have just found out, uh, and you're the first to know, that uh, the government is being forced back to the table here when it comes to this. So that's another issue. You know, you talk about a number of, uh, of issues that they're facing. There's, there's so much going on, and the House is not even sitting right now. Well, that's that, yeah. That's Perhaps what I was. It could have been an opportunity to change the channel for sure. Well, and, and it seems as if that was the way it was done because, like I say, there's there's very little in the way of meat on the bones here as to what this is going to do or time frames. I mean, you ask all the right questions, and he didn't seem to have the answers. He just wanted to blame somebody else. It's almost as if they said, "Look, let's give these guys something else to talk about, so we they'll forget about the OPP thing for a while." Which, which by the way, you guys you know broke that yesterday too. That that's been kicked upstairs now. I guess the uh, the ombudsman doesn't want to look after this now. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this is, you know, I was talking with Alex Pearson here in Toronto uh, on AM640 about about the, this issue. You know, we were chatting the other day and I said, there is so much stuff that has been coming at us as a press gallery from the government that it's hard to, you know, sort through every single thing that they have. But, it, you know, we really have to take some time now to, to do that. Bill 66, they just dropped that and left. Uh, you know, some of the, the stuff about the green belt, some of the issues with the water safety. Um, all of those are, are pretty significant issues that would, would really drive a news cycle for a week. But when you've got this onslaught of news coming at you, um, there, there's certainly a lot to cover. And, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, a, there's a strategy to it, I'm sure. Well, sure. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I, we've just had the, the overview of Bill 66 so far. Uh, and, and the water quality issue and the Greenbelt are two of the things. But, I mean, the water quality issue, these are things that were put in place after Walkerton. And and from what I can read uh, and what you've been reporting, it sounds as if a lot of the stuff that was enacted uh, as a result of the Walkerton inquiry, these guys are just going to let go by the wayside now. And th- that's a big story. But, you know, when they all leave town, Travis, there's not much you can do. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, it, we, we are we – are covering it, um, it, it just it seems as though there's a new story every single day. When it comes to the water issue, 
you know, I've talked to the government, and and certainly there are there are huge changes here that were you know safety regulations that were put into place to ab- prevent anything like Walkerton from ever happening again. But the government went pushed on it, and I've talked to you know sources within the government, the officials. They say, well, we're not compromising safety; we're just cutting red tape. But there's no one really that can answer questions on that for you because guess what? House is out till February. Well, yeah, and and, uh, and if that sounds that line about uh, we're just cutting red tape, it's not going to affect anybody's health. I mean, I heard that before. That that song was played back in the mid-1990s when they made the initial cuts, and it didn't work out so well for the people in Walkerton. Yeah, yeah, no, and you know what? We are we we are pursuing that story. The Greenbelt story is another one that we uh, we looked at, and, you know, environmentalists are up in arms. The Premier said that he wasn't going to open up the Greenbelt for development, uh, I talked to Minister Steve Clark about this the other day when I did a story on the Greenbelt. He says, well, no, we're not really opening it up. It has to be a municipality that comes to us. But they, they are opening the door a, a crack, and it, it is raising a lot of alarm bells. So there's going to be a lot, uh, you know, there are a lot of questions that the ministers have to answer when they come back in February. We're going to be pursuing these stories through the break, through the holidays, uh, at, when it comes to water, when it comes to pot comes to the OMA, uh, and, and when it comes to everything else that comes our way. <laughs> it's well, I know, and it's it's interesting. I mean, every time when I watch 5.30 News there with, with you guys and you do your report from there, I have no idea what you're going to talk about because there's a new story every day. And well, it's, and you, you, you hardly morning. have time to do a follow-up because there's breaking news coming up in the, an hour from now probably. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of behind the curtain. We just got off our, our morning conference call, and we're trying to determine there's about, there's about five Queen's Park stories today that are on the go, some things that are breaking right now, some things that we're working on, exclusives and things like that. And we're trying to determine which one we do today because we can't just in you know a, a, an hour newscast do every single one of them. Um, we are going to break some stuff online, but I mean it's a daily debate that we go through editorially. Is that, you know which big story do we do today? Because there are so many big stories. Well, the way things are going right now, I mean you know it's global news at five thirty and six. Uh, they probably have to give you one of those half hours. I think with the stuff that's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just set the stuff. I talked to Alan and Far about it. I'm sure they'd be happy with that. That's but yeah, it's, right. it's it's just craziness <laughs> what's happening now. But you're right. I mean when they introduce something like Bill sixty six with with a lot of questions. Uh, and and you understand that the debate on that's not going to happen until well mid February when they come back I guess is is obviously when they're going to start that discussion. It's always the government's hopes that that everybody's just going to kind of cool off and settle down and forget all about it over the holiday season. But you got to figure this is going to be a very stormy session when they come back in February. Oh, absolutely. And there are there are storms that right now are, are brewing on a number of fronts. You know, uh, the appointment of Ron Tavener. I think there's a. I mean, that's a whole storm in itself. I don't think, you know, a lot of those issues are going to go away. Ron Tavener is going to become the OPP commissioner on Monday. Uh, you know, there are questions about how he got the job. There are questions that are put to the integrity commissioner. Um, you know, there's the stuff still about uh, Dean French and Ali Kanvelshi and OPG and, you know, a number of other issues on, on cannabis and, and his chief of staff right now. Um, so, yeah, they're fighting a lot of battles, and, I, I, you know, as we discussed, one of the tactics is, okay, here's another big piece for you guys to follow. Go go look at this butterfly over here. Here's another <laughs> shiny ball. <laughs> well, it keeps you guys hopping, I know, but that's uh, that's one of the reasons why we always have to watch Global News at 5.30 and 6 and find out just what's happening down there, because uh, uh, we knew when Doug Ford got elected it was never going to be dull, didn't we? Absolutely. So much for uh, a holiday. I mean, it's, 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 this job is... It's fascinating, but it's not one that stops at, you know, 
6.30. Well, you're on the phone till very late at night sometimes. Well, listen, I, I know that you're going to try to give the, the details about the story of the OMA, so we'll be watching again this afternoon, uh, 5, 5, 5.30 and 6, of course, on Global News, uh, to get the latest on this. Unless something else breaks between now and then, Travis. Exactly, I guess we'll see. yeah, you never know. Listen, have a great weekend, Travis. Thanks again for the time today. Take care. Take care. Travis Donraj, of course, Queen's Park Bureau Chief with Global News. And there's a breaking story that uh, the province has been ordered back to the table to negotiate with Ontario doctors who have been without a contract for quite some time. And uh, we'll be watching and see what Travis has to say about that later on this afternoon. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.